Shut up and sit down. Hi, thank you. This is Films D, Episode 7. I'm your host, Richard Thomas. With me, as usual, is Joe Walters, sound engineer and co-producer of Films D Podcast. However, he's eating dinner for the evening and not on the microphone, as he was in the last episode in the search for Jedi Joe. However, this evening, I am very pleased to have as my guest for uh, Films D, Episode 7, Tempest Storm, producer, writer, host, of liesandlipstick.com as well as uh, you can check her out on tempeststorm.com but I just want to go ahead and let her introduce herself Tempest please introduce yourself to the people thank you by the way for being on the podcast no thank you for inviting me well my name is Tempest um, my background is in radio broadcasting um, I went to Columbia College Chicago got my degree in radio broadcasting I was pretty much very focused on radio until after college, um, I got the opportunity of a lifetime to be a casting assistant for Chicago Fire season one. So I casted the first season and then basically my television career took off. I've casted numerous shows, network shows, huge television shows. Um, Then I went into coordinating um, production coordinator, and now I'm producing and creating my own content to get out there to the world. That's incredible, and I I honestly have been to some degree watching a great deal of a lot of the work that you've done. I've seen like some of the things you posted on Instagram about being on sets and working behind the scenes on different projects, uh, such as Steve Harvey's show and. Chicago Fire. You know, both of us have our backgrounds in journalism per se. <clears throat> However, we also have passions outside of just journalism as, you know, going into the field of journalism, you become kind of an expert of different things. How did you walk into that world confidently? Like, Well, honestly, I wanted to work in television, but I thought that it would be something that would happen five to 10 years down the line, you know, once I've done everything in radio, but it happened much sooner. Um, And I had no experience. I never studied film. I never went to school for it. Uh, But somebody took a chance on me. They loved my background in radio and saw that I was a hard worker. And I told them that I learned very quickly and I'm willing to do this. And it was intimidating at first. You're on a million-dollar set. And it's, you know, everything is on the line. Um, But I just learned as I went. And I've been surrounded by wonderful people who have taught me um, basically everything I know and who have helped me along the way. And at this point of my career, I would consider myself um, an expert now. Um, But it just, I guess you can say I was curious when I first started. Um, I didn't, you know, ask a lot of questions. I did a lot of observing. And I just sat back and watched and kind of been developing, you know, on that platform ever since. And so during all of the the, the work on the experience of uh, necessarily becoming an expert, what were some of the things that you found that 
uh, you skills or talents that you already had from your prior experience working in radio? Well, radio and television is very different. I mean, I know they all group it in, you know, as entertainment, um, but it's all about who you know. That's one the, one of the common interests. Um, so I'm a networker. I love talking to people. I love learning. And so some of the skills that I've learned from college getting my degree uh, is basically is to come to work professional, you know, positive attitude. And, you know, you have to pay your dues in any industry. And that's something I definitely learned in radio. And so I was willing to start from the bottom up in television, which is what I basically did. I didn't start off as a production assistant, though. I started off as a casting assistant. Um, but you have to humble yourself. And I know that might not sound like something that you're taught, but those are skills that really help develop your professional career. Because I kind of had a chip on my shoulder with radio because, you know, I had accomplished so much. Mm-hmm. But then I go into an industry where I don't know anything or basically anyone. Right. So you have to really not only humble yourself, but you have to take a seat back and be determined to say, okay, I want to accomplish something in this lane. And then you have to go after it. That makes a lot of lot of sense in terms of just not only humbling yourself, but being able to acknowledge that you have a goal and an objective. As a filmmaker now, um, well, I'll get back to this question about your objective as a filmmaker, but I more so would want to know exactly from your perspective, what is the definition of those roles of being a production assistant or being a casting assistant? Um, well, a production assistant, and a lot of people might get offended by this, is basically like a gopher. Okay. Um, they just basically do all the grunt work. Um, you know, and a lot of people in their career start off as a production assistant. That's the first. That's the level entry. So they come so in like Will Smith and Bagger Vance? <laughs> you're running to get coffee and, you know, you're picking up crew and talent and, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, but you are learning so much because you're in so many different departments and people are pulling you in so many different directions. Now, for my career, I didn't have to start off like that. So it was like, okay, I'm basically being thrown in a pool of water and someone is saying swim because I didn't even have that experience. Of course, I interned before, you know, in college and stuff, but I wasn't, you know, doing all of that of what production assistants do on films and television shows. Mm -hmm. So just learning from them and talking to them too, even though I had a higher position, I still needed the knowledge. I still needed to know how it worked. Um, Now, the next title you mentioned is a casting assistant. So what a casting assistant does is they work under the casting director, and basically they help cast the show uh, where, uh, well, you might be picking, like, background extras or helping with the talent, picking those people out. And so that's what a casting assistant does. And, Sometimes the director will let you have free range on, like, Chicago Fire. One of the episodes, 
I, you know, casted everything and didn't really have to get someone to sign off on it. It was basically my episode. Oh, nice. Um, Did you get credit so for that now work? now the title... Is your name in the credits? Yeah. No? Oh, awesome. I got yeah. it. All right. What episode was that? <laughs> or what season um, or what episode? season one. It's season one. It's the Halloween episode. Um, I, I'm accredited for all my work. Um, but that one especially, uh, is, I think it's like Halloween episode. I can't remember the exact episode. So I've worked on so many shows after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the next title would be production coordinator. And basically that person coordinates the shoot. Uh, whether it's hiring the crew, doing the logistics, you know, taking care of budgets and payrolls and putting all the pieces together. And it's more of a office type role. Um, and then after that, what I do now is produce. And that's basically, how can I explain that? That title is basically sort of like the production coordinator, but on a higher level, you're still putting all the pieces together and you're basically bringing your vision to life, if that makes sense. It does. Uh, and I personally know uh, there are different definitions of what a producer uh, role is on any given project. It just depends on mm-hmm. the number of hands you have on deck and so uh, me personally, right Very now, I'm true. working as an executive producer on a short film produced by Sam Nicole Young called Side Effects. So I became executive oh, producer. Congrats. Thank you. I became executive producer because I donated to her uh, Kickstarter campaign. And so that was how I got on board with that project. And I haven't, at this point in time, necessarily offered much in kind of like uh, what sweat equity is what I, how I would define it, and other mm-hmm. than promoting it, I mean, I just promoted it now. Um, I'm promoting it on my social networks, and you know, I've gone and visited the set. Despite all of that, I've still kind of feel like there's more to a producer's role, and even still more that I can do as a producer, uh, just not only on her project, but as a you know, on any project that I've worked on as a producer. Um, and sometimes it was just doing kind of like things that a production coordinator would do, but you have more of that executive decision-making uh, ability to, mm-hmm. you know, call a shot. Exactly. And I guess that's kind of a great segue to discussing now your current and upcoming series, uh, Lies and Lipstick. Uh, and what is the director? Eliana. Eliana Israel? Yep, Eliana. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So my question regarding Eliana is how did you approach the relationship or how did you both come into, you know, this project as collaborators? Well, I, to be honest, I don't know how I met Eliana. Um, and I just texted her and asked her that, and she doesn't remember either. But this goes back to what I mentioned in the beginning, that I'm a networker. <laughs> and I'm constantly adding people on Facebook who work in film and TV. Okay. And I'm constantly sending out messages, you know, networking, getting my name out, learning about them. Mm-hmm. And Eliana has worked on numerous shows. We haven't worked on, uh, you know, a, sh- a network show together. 
but she's worked on Empire and all these other shows. And she basically was, you know, helping me in the industry, you know, basically saying, oh, this, here's an opportunity here and here's an opportunity there. And we, I felt comfortable with her to let her know about a project that I was thinking about producing, which was Lies and Lipstick. And I had already started on the script. And so I showed it to her and she fell in love with it. And so we came together and she helped co-write it um, and she directed it. So for anyone listening, um, they may not be that familiar with Lies and Lipstick. I know that it began as mm -hmm. a blog, a relationship blog. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. How did how, What inspired you yes. to approach or even come up with the concept of Lies and Lipstick? Um, I was in my Miami, mm -hmm. uh, just for vacation, and I was like looking out to the ocean, and I was thinking about relationships and the situation I was in at the time, and I wanted a way to express myself, and so lies and lipstick immediately popped in my head, and so I started lies and lipstick. Um. So I started it off as a website, and then I did a podcast with it, and I also published a book on Amazon for it. And it got, like, you know, really successful. A lot of people was interested. They loved the stories. I got a lot of feedback. But when my television career took off, it was kind of hard to focus on blogging. And mm -hmm. so the idea came, to, you know, in my head, well, why don't I turn these stories into something visual that people can see. And so I took some of those ideas and I started writing a script. And so that's basically how we got from point A, the blog, to point B, the series. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I think you and I are either Kendrick spirits or we are just great minds because I think in a similar <laughs> manner, I've kind of approached uh films d it started off as a blog and at one point you kind of, i kind of walked away from it but i didn't want to leave the brand behind because i like the brand and the concept and so i've now reapproached it from the standpoint of i don't have time to write a blog i don't have time to really keep that up as much as i'd like to however i do have these relationships and contacts in the film industry and i would love to continue to kind of like building up uh, those relationships and help others build up their brands as well as uh, uh, further the uh, the conversations in and around the subjects of just creatives of creators of color uh, and so mm -hmm. I created well, this podcast and hmm? yeah I think Everything that you do should grow and evolve, basically. Right. right. Um, blogging is still a very strong platform uh, when you look at stuff. But, you know, I kind of stepped away from that because I just saw everything going in a different direction. And I wanted it to follow my career and where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. And where I'm at now is television. And so I want to give people a visual of those stories that I used to write about. So... Did you start writing while you were in Miami or I'm sorry, that's how you came up with the lies and lipstick. When did you start writing the yeah. web series, the series? 
I started writing, I want to say, two summers ago. Um, I just started doing the script. And I, that wasn't my plan. You know, when I got into television, I was like, okay, I love casting. And, of course, I wanted to move up. But I never had a plan of becoming a writer. So um, I started writing two summers ago. I wrote the script. And that, that was it basically. What was the writing process like for you? Uh, did you write out an entire um, episode in one week? Or, okay. It was challenging how? No. It was challenging because I'm the type of person where I have to be inspired. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't, even though it's, you know, it's live and lipstick and I could have took the stories and just kind of put it, but like with if I'm turning it into a television show, I have to develop characters and a personality and, you know, have locations. And it's different than just writing a blog. And I have to be inspired to do that. And I have to be in a, a mind frame where I'm able to do that. So it started, you know, spilling on the pages, me writing it. And I'm kind of old school. I'm not old, but I'm old school where I like to write it out. I don't want to go to the computer and type it. Yeah. So everything just started spilling out. Um, and then I kind of knew in my head the direction. I had an outline of the direction I wanted the story to go to. Um, but I needed some help. And that's where Eliana comes in, too, where I'm like, okay, this is the, you know, direction or whatever, and we kind of, you know, have discussions and stuff like that, like a roundtable session, and then I'm able to continue writing, and then, you know, she asks her stuff, and that's basically how it came about. And I guess this question is um, related to your writing process. If you could mm -hmm. go back now and talk to your self two years ago when you started writing this, what advice would you give yourself two years ago now? Uh, that's a very good question. If I could go back, yeah, so definitely my writing style has definitely um, changed. If I could go back, I would tell myself to be a little bit more focused. Um, I think it was times where I stopped and I paused and I put too much into it instead of letting my creativeness just flow out of me. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm at a point where I just let it, you know, come out and, you know, whatever it turns out to be is what it is. And then I'll make changes later. I think at that point in time, since I knew that I was, you know, going to ask for help, I was kind of trying to perfect it. Mm, because you knew you were going to have other eyes. Yeah. So On it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, so you were self-editing as you went along instead of just letting things flow. I think, mm -hmm. yeah. Correct. And, and I think even as a journalist early on, you kind of get that itch to self-edit a lot of the writing that you produce instead of necessarily going back and just simply relying on your editor to say, well, this is the story right here, and this is what we're going to make the story. We're going to edit and chop out whatever other parts of the story don't work with it. Uh, so did you ever find that there was maybe even points during the process? I know a lot of journalists have uh, come over or transitioned into becoming screenwriters. Did you feel any connection to or 
did you feel as though your uh, background in journalism influenced your writing as a screenwriter? Well, my background is in radio. I never studied journalism. <laughs> How, okay. Well, um, you still write scripts and radio from time to time, so. Yes, you do. Um, no, because again, at, you know, when I first started writing Liza Lipstick, I wasn't trying to screenplay or really trying to write, but I knew it had to be done, and I, I was the only one who basically could do it. So I wasn't I wasn't thinking that too far ahead, and I'm still not thinking to the point where it's like, okay, I want to, you know, screenwrite and stuff like that. You know, of course, I would love to develop that uh, talent within myself some more, but I'm just now discovering it. I'm just now discovering my writing. I mean, I had the blog, and people was like, oh, I love the stories. But now that I have the script and people are like, oh, I love this script, you know, this is new for me because this is not something that I've pictured or dreamt of years ago. So I'm still kind of, you know, finding myself and developing that talent within me. Got it. So could you tell me a brief summary of um, Lies and Lipstick, just kind of a background on what it's about, the characters, who's in, who's, is it a love story? What mm -hmm. kind of genre is it? Liza Lipstick is a drama. Uh, it focuses on the main character. Her name is Zara. And she's basically trying to find herself um, in life when, you know, she doesn't like her job, her friendships or you know, coming to a certain point where, you reach that point in your 20s or in your life where it's like, okay, some people I have to leave behind, new people come in, and then her personal, her love relationship, um, she just got out of a three-year relationship, and she's still trying to figure out what went wrong there, and her whole identity is being questioned. So it's a coming-to-age story. It does focus on romance, but... It's one of those stories where you are seeing the characters grow up and mature in each episode. But it's definitely a drama, and it's definitely, you know, stuff that happened. Like, you're like, oh, oh, my God, what's next? That type of thing. Um, but Zara is basically my story. I mean, it's okay. not mirrored. It's not my life. But mm -hmm. it's just the struggle of finding yourself growing up finding yourself in your career, trying to figure out, you know, who's the person that you want to build and be with and, you know, what friendships are right for you. Got it. And, and that's basically lies and lipstick. And you infuse a lot of the lessons, I assume, you've learned yourself personally into the story. Correct. Okay. Yep. I tried to keep it as close as to the blog as possible. Um, but I wanted to give people something new. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very it's a very interesting story. I mean, the first season, the first script, you know, a couple of set of scripts we have, I think it's like eight or, yeah, I think it's maybe like eight or seven scripts. Um, it focuses on Zara's uh, relationship with her ex and trying to figure out what went wrong there. 
But we have already did season two. We haven't wrote the script, but we've done season two, three, four, and five. And it focuses on different points in Zara's life. And by the time it hits season five, you see the growth. You see the woman that she has became, along with her friends, too, because she's not the only character in the story. And who plays Zara? What did you ask? Who plays Zara? Who's the actress that plays Zara in the series? Um, Toya Turner plays Zara. Um, she's talented. She's been in numerous stuff. Um, she plays the main character. How was the How was the casting process overall? Um, was did you find her in the during the audition process, or was this kind of a you? found somebody on Facebook and you were like, you're the perfect person. I would love you to be in my uh, upcoming production. How did that process work? Um, well, we did the casting. We, you know, put out something on social media that we were casting and we used websites that most actors go to like backstage.com and stuff like that. And people showed up and we had them read for us. Um, and at first, I was going into a different direction for Zara's character. But then Toya came in on, like, I think the second audition. She missed the first one. On the callback, she came in and read for me and blew me away. She she was perfect. As soon as I saw her, I saw Zara. Um, and I loved her look and everything else. She brought the script to life. And then she, her chemistry with the other two girls, the two other characters, Lauren and Kiki, her chemistry was really, really, really good. Um, and so that's how that came about. You know, basically just putting it out there on social media and putting it out there on actors' websites that we have an audition. And then we had a location downtown where everybody came out to read for the part. And it was pretty good. I actually had a company contact me who helped me find actors and stuff like that, too. Um, I did reach out to a few people to see if they were interested in it. Um, but other than that, we basically, the whole cast, maybe except for one character, was basically people who saw the post, um, saw the audition, and decided to come out for it. Yeah, I saw the audition post myself, and I unfortunately was unable to attend the auditions as I had prior engagements. I really wish I could have been, could have been part of the production on uh, some varying level uh, outside of the fact that, you know, just being able to give you all uh, the view uh, from uh, the fans that anyone who follows Films D. So my... um. Next question that I wanted to ask you was more so related to once you got past the initial phase of pre-production, more or less, uh, casting, what were some of the locations mm -hmm. that you all shot at and how did you come about um, uh, uh, locking in those locations? Um, well, Eliana did most of all of that because um, she directed it. So... Some of the locations, we were on the south side and, you know, used apartments in Hyde Park for Zara's apartment. Um, and then 
we had like this this, this one scene where it's this cafe because basically the girls like I want to say every Sunday they basically have brunch or whatever Mm -hmm. um and so it was this one cafe that we used but Eliana got it and secured the contracts and stuff like that and we were able to film on a Sunday um because they were closed that day and it's a beautiful place in Hyde Park where is that I want to say it is. I'm terrible with directions. It's okay. called like Green Line. And what were it was most of it shot on the south side? Yes. Most of it shot on the south side. Um, we, you know, when we first started doing this, of course, we had, you know, all these locations in mind and stuff. But it really comes down to, you know, we're not ABC, we're not Fox, we're not all these six networks. So it really just comes down to um, people taking a chance on a, you know, a new idea, new production. And the South Side offered that, and which I love because I'm from the South Side. So when everything, if everything lines up correctly, I would love to incorporate the South Side more into my work and everything else. Give back to the community and, you know, have them give back to us because it's a lot of beautiful places on the south side oh yeah i was just on the south side this past weekend uh for university of chicago's uh kent university speech that was given by ryan coogler it was awesome oh nice. Um, yeah it's cold but just going on the south side i used to live on the south side in high park and i just haven't been there as frequently as i've in the past and just going back just was a breath of fresh air because you don't realize the beauty of that community unless you really kind of like are part of it and i tend not to go there as often as i used to and i've seen a lot of development and changes happening in that area with barack obama's library uh, potentially well confirmed to be there and just the fact that you know you have the university of chicago and of course the museum of science and industry uh so I I don't know. I just you're right. That side of town is one of the most beautiful and one of those hidden treasures uh, in Chicago that a lot mm-hmm. of people don't realize that, you know, there's a lot of great opportunities for even making films, for example, with Love Jones, which brings me to my le- next question. Uh, what are some of your or what would be your top five greatest romance love stories of all time? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. So for me, love and basketball. Of course. Um, Gotta the love reason Gina why that was, wood. Yeah, it was written very well. And the music selection stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing you'll notice in Lies and Lipstick is the music was very important to me and Eliana. Um, and it's not many films that I can say that I like the scoring of, but uh, Love and Basketball, I like the scoring of that. Um, and let's see, what else? Uh, the Notebook, that's another great example of, you know, excellent writing and the plots and twists and turns of the story. Um, that was done very well. And the acting on that was superb. That's, you know, some of the best acting that I've seen in a romance film. Um, Something New, another Annihilation film. Um, That was really good. 
I don't know if it's, you know, as big as Love and Basketball for her, but I really like that story. Um, and let's see. Poetic Justice. I thought that was shot very well um, for that time frame. Uh, and I think I would say, I want to say Clueless, but it's kind of like a romantic Clueless. comedy. What? Yeah, it's like a romantic comedy. Yeah, because um, romantic comedies are not kind of, I like drama, like romance okay. drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but romantic comedies, that would happen to be the best one for me. Um, the script is really good. And I know it's like, um, you know, Valley Girl, L.A., stuff like that. But the script, it, it fits perfectly. Like, I fall in love with stuff that's realistic. Mm-hmm. And whoever the writers were on that project, I thought they did an excellent job of, you know, making us believe that, you know, there's these two girls who have this extravagant life but really don't know anything about the world outside of that. You have some really um, interesting cool. choices. Yeah, I, I, and I never looked at it that <laughs> way. Um, however, uh, I do appreciate uh Faison loves performance in that in that film. So, is that Faison? <laughs> is it Faison? I mean, it's a good story behind it. She grows up, and it's a coming to age story. And I fall in love with those. And that's what Liza Lipstick is. You know, she grows up, and she, you know, ends up liking someone that's not the popular jock, or comes from, you know, somebody full of money or something, somebody completely opposite. And I kind of like that. Clueless is a classic. Yeah, and I meant Donald Faison, not Faison Love. I always get those names mixed up, but I am a big fan (laughs) of Donald. And then you brought in Poetic Justice, and that one for me, I don't know. I guess as a guy, I never looked at that as a love story, but it makes sense that it is and almost would be like John Singleton's only love story. Well, Janet Jackson fell in love. Yeah, she fell in love with... Tupac. I mean, that what it was is it was about them two falling in love with one another. I would say Even more they, so you know, about he, falling in love with who they were as individuals more than who they were together. I mean, I think, I think them being together, yeah, in so many different ways, they eventually found kind of like the the ability to love themselves. Cause I, I think for a great deal of the film, like Tupac was kind of being hard on himself. Uh, and then got more in touch with his softer side as a story. Every relationship. So that represents every, cause in the beginning of the film, she's, you know, single, everybody's telling her to get a man. He comes in the salon she's working at and tries to holler at her and she's not feeling it and come to find out fate has this crazy way of bringing them together because her girlfriend is dating his co-worker. Yeah. And so they go on this trip together and yeah, they're discovering themselves, but they are also discovering each other. Cause that one scene when she goes to the lake or whatever it is, and he's staring at her mm-hmm. and they have that moment together. Mm-hmm. I yeah. looked at it as a love story. Okay. <laughs> All right. And not a But yeah, that would be John's only love story. Got it. And I guess for me as a guy, it would have really been a love story if they had included that scene, that Tupac and uh, Janet Jackson love scene that never happened. 
So I that's that's just that's just my personal take on that one. I would I would think that as a guy, I would have been like, yeah, that was a love story because he got to you know get down with Miss Jen. So and then something new that's on Netflix, right? I haven't seen that in a while, but that is about something new did just come to Netflix, um, but I've had it on DVD for a very long time. And if I buy something like on DVD, and then that's how I know it's one of my favorites. And that movie is about, you know, she is a type A person, mm-hmm. and she falls in love with a guy who's not type A. He's very adventurous and lives a different life. He also happens to be of a different race. He's right. Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has a choice either, you know, be with him or date another type A guy who's played by, uh, I want to say his first name is Blair Underwood, but yeah, I, I think I'm correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, she has the option to date him who's also like the similar personalities and is one of those opposite attract things. And the reason I like that story is because, especially as a black woman, whether we're talking about love or we're talking about our careers, we have to step outside the box. And everything that's presented to you inside the box doesn't mean it's always right for you. And for me personally, I I, I just know that that story for like the new kids coming up, do you really think that a story like that will resonate with them though? Like growing up in a society where like, race for them really is kind of like this to some degree non-existing you know there are a lot of kids growing up in the suburbs and growing up in communities where there's a lot more diversity and diversity is more so embraced and uh it's not an afterthought so do you think a film like that can stand the test of time or yeah because interracial relationships will always be a topic You know, it's not something that's, you know, brand new, but it's still something that is discussed. I mean, I just, you know, yesterday I was watching something and they were talking about preserving the white race and how whites need to date whites. But we are starting to become a melting pot and we're starting to all mix in and, you know, date outside of our own race. Everybody's starting to be mixed now. So I, I, do, I do think that it will still resonate. Now, I don't know if it will be as powerful as Titanic or something, um, but it's still a good story. And so, you know, race will always be a topic. And love comes into that. Okay. And your other film, The Notebook. I love that film, by the way. Why... Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, it is. It's real good. I, I've, I don't know if I cried during that film, but I, I did kind of have a moment. Where I was like, I would love a relationship where you know we had a long, ongoing journal where we wrote about everything going on in our relationship, and when we reached the old age, you just pull it out and read it, etc. But I've never really found a relationship like that, and never really even seen a black love story told in that manner. Or maybe I haven't seen it. Um, but do you think that there's, there is love like that in kind of outside of, I don't want to even make it a race issue, but we kind of already started talking race, but would you think that there's 
uh, potential for something like that to be told as a black story or interracial story? Yeah, we have stories like that. The problem is that Hollywood, there's not enough of us there to tell those stories. Um, and then the stories that get told is, you know, the stories that we hear over and over and over. Um, but we, you know, we have stories like that. The Notebook was very powerful. Um, but it's just all about who's running the show, basically. And it's a, it's a white man's show in Hollywood. And it's not enough diversity. And the reason, you know, even if they do hire all the black writers in the world, the problem is it comes down to money. And they have a formula for black people. And they know what we like and what's going to sell. So a lot of stuff they're not going to put out simply because they don't think we will show up for it. And this is the reason why we see some of the same actors all the time and some of the same reoccurring themes is because Hollywood has made up its mind that, okay, black people won't try anything new. So, you know, we know we can make a profit off of this. And the sad part about that statement is that, to me, in my opinion, it's half true. Because Beyond the Light was in theater. I didn't go check it out. Why not? It on Netflix. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't check it out. I didn't recognize any of the actors. I wasn't interested. I saw it on Netflix, and I fell in love with it. Hold on. You weren't familiar with and Nate Parker? No, not before that. And now, of course, I know him because of his film, you know, Birth of a Nation and Sundance and stuff like that. Hmm. But before that, you know, I, he wasn't on my radar. Got it. And that's just, that's how Hollywood thinks. And I guess I'm one of the, I mean, because they do a lot of testing, group testing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I guess I fall into one of those categories where it's like, will black people jump out the box and go to the theaters? and support a movie, make it number one, if they don't recognize the main character. Because if you notice in white films, when you look at Hunger Games and all this stuff, we don't, these characters come out, we have never seen them before, basically. <laughs> and they're brand new. They're I mean, yeah. brand new. Yeah. And it's like, where's the young black girl who's going to do uh, three films, you know, back to every year? Where's the black girl who's going to do that? And they won't do that simply because they have tested our market and have came to the conclusion that we will not go out and support something that we are unaware about. And I have been a victim to that, and that has made me more aware to open my eyes and, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to check that out. I'm going to spend the money. I hope it's good, you know. Because if we don't support, then, you know, who will? And how do we get those stories like The Notebook and those classic, amazing black films? Right. But so you you do, are you aware that uh, Beyond the Lights is directed and written by the same writer of Love and Basketball? No, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. It wasn't even on my radar until it hit Netflix. Really? <laughs> Well, at least you got yeah, to see it on Netflix. How did you well even see theater. it on? So how'd you see it on Netflix? Was it in like the African-American uh, critically acclaimed films category? Or was it just a recommendation because of things you watched in the past? How did yeah, that? Yeah, it, 
it was a recommend it was a recommendation. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna check it out. And I actually watched it twice in one weekend because I was so in love with the story, the that writing, story the way it story. was shot. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the way it was shot. And then I did my research and I looked at the numbers and the theaters and stuff and I'm like, oh, we should have, every single person should have been out in that theater looking at this movie, including myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess, however, I mean, you say that it wasn't maybe, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like maybe it wasn't promoted in the right way. Yet, Love, Love and Basketball by the same director, Gina Prince by the Wood, uh, that film kind of really had kind of new characters. You know, Omar Epps was relatively known, yet Saniya Lathan was still kind of establishing herself in in other But see, that was a different time. That was a different time when Black people went to the theaters. We didn't have Netflix and the internet. Well, we had the internet, but we didn't have all these channels where if it's not a Twitter topic, people are not checking for it. Got it. So back then it was like, oh, let's go to the theater. This, this date is night, the option. Or I'm hanging yeah. out with my friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so you didn't, you really, you went there and you didn't know what you was going to see, but you knew you was going to see something. Right. We are in a different time now where if it's, if it's not a trend, if everybody's not posting about it on Facebook or regramming it, it kind of falls off the radar and we're like, oh, a couple of people are talking about it, but it's not big enough for, you know, everyone to just go. I, I mean, because I miss those days when I used to just, my parents used to drop me off at the movie theater. I didn't know what I wanted to see. I didn't have a plan. It was just me and my friends going to the movies, hanging out. Now we're in a time where people don't do that. We have too many sources, too many channels, and too many things picking what we should watch anyway, like Netflix, Hulu, all the streaming sites like that with the suggestions and, you know, yeah, I miss those days too. I would, me and my homeboys when we were younger, uh, growing up in high school, get dropped off at the movie theater. We would hang out in the movie theater, not just to go see the movie, but also to try to test our game to see if we can, you know, get get some phone numbers and see who can get the most. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those. And I, I kind of wish I haven't seen anything that tells that type of story, but those are the type of stories that will be interesting even to see on film as well. Uh, nevertheless, I, um, had a question about love and basketball being your number one pick. Why didn't you choose love Jones? I mean, mm-hmm. that's you from, you, you're from Chicago, right? Yep. I'm from Chicago, born and raised. And, um, and love Jones is in your top love five. Jones, no, I know it's everybody's favorite and I thought it was pretty good. And the, you know, of course the actors me along was excellent. But I don't know. It just didn't. There isn't a connect there for me. I just I never like. Oh, Love Jones, and I know you know a lot of people love that film. And I'm not saying it was terrible. You know, it was written well, uh, but it just wasn't one of my like staples. So hold on, you wasn't digging Tate Diggs and his poetry, say baby. <laughs> Can I be your slave? I gotta admit, it was girl, good, you're the but... shit, girl. I'm digging you like a grave. You, come on, you ain't like that. You wasn't, you wasn't digging it, that it like was that. Good, huh? but it, yeah, it just wasn't. 
I don't know. Maybe I needed some more turns. I don't know. It's just I I never really connected with it like that. But it is a lot of people's favorite. Mm-hmm. Everyone constantly, you know, brings that one up. Um, and it's one of those comedy dramas again. Um, but no, I just I didn't really care for it. I mean, I'll check out part two if they make that, which I've been hearing about, but I don't think it's gonna happen. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, put my money on that. So, but I did like their story, but okay. it it's just not. It didn't pop up as a favorite. Okay, all right. You didn't want to be cliche or anything. I I understand. You know. Um. So, moving on. My question uh, now is: uh, What? Because you've mentioned Beyond the Lights being a film that's on Netflix. What was the last film that you watched online, be it Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or any other streaming platform? Um, I just finished uh, Chelsea Handler's documentary, which I want to say is excellent. It's um, a documentary series, four episodes, but it's like from her take, from a, a comedy perspective, but it touches on real issues. The first episode is about love and marriage. Second episode is about racism. Third episode is about technology, or maybe the second episode is about technology. Um, But third episode, technology. Fourth episode, drugs. Um, And I think the conversations, especially the racism one, she had an interview with Al Sharpton, and I learned a lot, you know, about you know, his history and how his family goes all the way back to slavery and stuff and how he was able to trace that back. But it was done really well. And plus, she's funny. Now, I never, you know, I watched her show, like, maybe sometimes, her late-night show, but I wasn't, like, drawn to it that much. Um, But she's hilarious in this, and she's not poking fun at the issue. She is, you know, really trying to learn about it and educate it. But, you know, she cracks a joke here and there to lighten the mood and just makes it more interesting and compelling to watch. Um, And I've never seen a documentary done like that. And I love documentaries. So that was the last thing I've watched. Um, Because I'll tell something personal. I don't have cable. (laughs) I work on a lot of TV shows. But I don't watch TV like that. And when I do, Uh it's Netflix, Hulu, and everything that streams. Yeah. No doubt. Um, I, I won't so knock you for that. I mean, everything. you are, uh, yeah, you and you in tune with, you know, the wave of the future of how people are not necessarily going to be subscribing to any cable providers. I honestly will get out of my cable deal. Yeah, if I it think was it's a waste of power. Yeah, it's a waste of money. And it's, I got so much more out of these streaming sites. So much more. So many different movies and shows that I never would have watched if I had just had regular cable, because you kind of stick to the channels that you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. But when you are stuck with these streaming sites, you're kind of like, okay, well, I don't have anything else. Let me just try it out. You're willing to step out that box. Right, right, right. And right. I've stepped out that box, and I've seen so many different stuff, and I'm like, okay, I like this. Now this is one of my favorites now. Yeah. That's cool. The only thing I would ever miss with cable, though, is ESPN every morning. So I would... I would have a hard time parting with it because I can't. It's not like I can go to the bar in the morning and like check out ESPN. What happened last night that I missed? Well, the Apple TV has the ESPN app on there. 
I haven't even bothered with watched Apple the TV. Super Bowl I mean, I to, on Apple you're the TV. second person that told me I need to get an Apple TV, and I just might have to get an Apple TV to replace this Xfinity <laughs> box. Cause I, I'm through with Comcast. I, I really would love it if Google came into Chicago and it's just like, yo, we got fiber optic. Yo, you don't need Comcast anymore. Uh, I'm waiting for that as well. Yeah, so I um I uh got a couple more questions. I know that we're kind of getting close on time and I just want to stay on point. So mm-hmm. when I guess when can people uh, look forward to seeing the first couple of episodes of Lies and Lipsticks the series? Well, the first episode of Lies and Lipstick will be released um, Sunday, which is February 14th. And by the time this interview airs, it would just have been released. And it will be released on the Lies and Lipstick uh, website. Um, So this is what's happening with Lies and Lipstick. So when we were in the process of writing and filming, um, production companies, uh, which I can't name, became very interested in the story. Mm -hmm. And so now we're at a point where we're making it bigger to fit the needs of the production companies that want it. Um, So, but since, you know, we filmed already, we're going to release that and, you know, have people see what that is and see what happens from there. And it's basically going to take the role of all these other, uh, I want to say, YouTube shows that have taken off, like, you know, Black and Sexy TV, that one of the shows got to deal with HBO, um, some other shows are featured on BET yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm at the point now where... Yeah. Hello, Cupid. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm at the point now where it's like, create, put it out. You know, it's like, we don't have to talk about it. You know, it's enough talking and stuff like that. It's like, I'm on my Beyonce stuff. It's just create it, <laughs> put it out to the masses and see what happens. You said, I'm firing so the marketing team. We're I know what I'm re- doing. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to release it, and if the internet loves it, perfect. But, you know, we are working on um, me and Eliana just taking Lies and Lipstick a little bit further just based off what these production companies have told us that they want. That way they can push it out where, you know, it's to a point that everybody in the whole wide world is watching it. Okay, awesome. That sounds exciting. So where can people find out more information about Lies and Lipstick outside of the um, liesandlipstick.com? Is there social media? Yeah, so Lies and Lipstick has a Twitter page, um, and it's at Lies and Lipstick. Um, We don't have an Instagram, so it's just a Twitter, and it's just a website. And that's about it. So what we're going to do is push it out to, of course, all my social media sites, the actors and everybody involved in the project is going to put it out. And it'll basically be on a platform like YouTube, and it'll have the right tags, and hopefully people will come across it. And then we'll just see what the feedback is. Absolutely. And go from there. That sounds incredible. And I'll be sure to uh, include that on a, a post on Films D podcast, aside from um, the blog, filmsd.com. 
So what other things are you doing oh, for thank a promo? You. Absolutely. I'm, that's what it's about, really. So uh, what else are, do you have any other media lined up and uh, other uh, ways to promote it outside of social network? I mean, you're, well, you're since the... the since, oh, what did you say? I was just going to say, you you know, you, your background's in radio, I know. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you see the thing is now with lies and lipstick since um these production companies are interested in it it's only so much that me and eliana are basically i want to say allowed to do okay so you Um, are you going to have like a party a launch party or you know we were in discussion to do that with the actors and the crew just to thank them for their hard work Right, right right um but that you know that's still in, you know, talks, and we're still working on that. Okay. Because um, it started moving just really fast, you know. It's it's basically on the desk of uh, somebody who works in development. Got and it. so that process, if you ever pitch the show, development takes a long time. And it's like, you know, we don't want to, you know, say so much and do so much with it mm-hmm. when somebody is trying to develop it and you know bring it to the masses so to speak okay but uh, again you know those deals fall through so we don't want to like sit on it which is why we are releasing it Mm-hmm. yeah wow. and that's but, good know, too was, in a sense you know there was uh mm-hmm. the creator lena wyeth who also went to columbia and she created a series the name of it is i it's on the tip of my tongue. I can't remember the name of it, but she created a uh, four-part series of uh, a concept that she wanted to pitch to networks. And so instead of going the traditional route and just going into those networking meetings uh, with the developers, she launched it online to basically show that there was a want for content like this. So, um I think that that what you're doing is perfect. It, it is the best approach to launching a, a kind of a campaign to push those developers and those producers and those networks to mm-hmm. say, you know, yes, let's do it. We're down. We're interested. I'm exactly. excited. And I, that's what me and Eliana came up with. Um, she, you know, she, we was talking about trailers and, you know, photos, because the cast actually did a photo shoot. So when we release it, it's, the pieces are there. The promotion, all of that, we have the photo shoot, the cast, we have all of that. But the thing is, you know, I'm kind of watching everybody else's movements in this, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't need to hype it up. It's going to take the path it's meant to take regardless. And so that's where we're at now. Right on. So you said the first episode will be coming out this Sunday and the following, how many episodes will you be posting online? Um, We're still in discussion of that. We're basically doing a test with the first episode mm-hmm. um, and just seeing what the feedback is and, you know, what people you know, say what they're feeling, what they're not. Because everybody loves the script. But, you know, this will be the first time people have seen the visual. Okay. And um, s- except for the selected few. 
Um, so we're going to see what people are saying and then we're going to take it from there and like, you know, over time release more. Okay. Well, I am more than excited to, uh, check out the full uh, episode. As I mentioned before, I got a preview of the first episode from uh, Charles J. Williams. He uh, had a... Oh, nice. Yeah, so he was on a project, and it was he was on a previous episode of the podcast, uh, in a couple episodes, in fact. Uh, and Yeah, he, he was our DP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was telling me he was just working on a project with you, as I was telling him some of the other guests that were going to be on the podcast in the future. And so he was like, oh, man, yeah, I was just working on uh, Tempest Storm's uh, Lies and Lipstick. Let me show you. He was like, you want to check it out? I was like, yeah. And so uh, we we sat and watched it, checked it out. I must say that What it did is, you think? It is, uh, as I would say, um, just a, a, a romance uh, that kind of reminds me of Sex in the City, and mm-hmm. and not just Sex in the City, but um, I would say girlfriends. Uh, and so those mm-hmm. those two being in that category, being in that company, I think that that mean that's a compliment from my perspective personally i wasn't a big fan of sex in the city until i had a girlfriend who made me watch the episodes with her when they came on each season and that is well written and it is and it is is amazing and i will say girlfriends and i don't think those stories get old in my opinion no and no exactly exactly and they don't and I, i and i will say that the way that you established the characters in the beginning and the writing overall is very thorough and i'm excited and definitely think that you know what you have is something that a lot of people will want more of thank you i really appreciate that Thank you. And I think on that note, uh, I would like to thank you for um, taking this time and accepting the invitation of being on Films D Podcast. You are online and uh, yourself at, people can find you on at TempestStorm.com as well as Tempest on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yes. Yeah, so all of my stuff is, except for Instagram, Instagram is Temp. T-E-M-P-1-0-1, Twitter, um, Facebook, and my website is TempestStorm.com, and you can just type in Tempest Storm on Facebook. Hopefully somebody is not trying to pretend to be me again, and you actually add my real page. Oh, man, can't um, have no Twitter, <laughs> I know, and uh, Twitter is just Tempest Storm. And then if you're interested in Lies and Lipstick, you can go to LiesandLipstick.com. Um, you can purchase a book on Amazon. You can go on iTunes and see the podcast. And Liza Lipstick also has a Twitter uh, called Liza Lipstick. So it's definitely, you know, coming out there. The main goal for it is to get it to the masses. And if you can look at it and support it, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I will, and I'm de- I will share that as well on filmsdeep.com. Uh, and... You said it comes out on Sunday, the first episode, correct? Yes, correct. On Valentine's Day, the perfect day. Watch it mm-hmm. with your bae, your yep. boo, whoever. Um, watch the story. It's going to be great. Really proud of it. All right. Well, thank you for again for being a guest on this episode of Films D Podcast. Thank you for anyone listening to 
this week's episode seven of Films D Podcast with Tempest Storm. I'm your host, Richard Thomas, engineer and co-producer Joe Walters over here, just wrapping up his dinner. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. I got to eat.